Hello and welcome to the Library Coven, a bi-weekly podcast in which two bookish besties discuss mostly YA fantasy through the lens of intersectional feminist criticism. Why? Because critique is our fangirl love language and because talking about books is pretty magical. I'm Jesse and I'm Kelly. And today we're going to be discussing Legendborn by Tracy Dion. Um, we just want to give a content warning for discussions of racism, slavery, and parental death. Um, Legendborn tells the story of Bree, a 16-year-old black girl who is attending early college program at UNC Chapel Hill. She learns the legends surrounding Arthur and the round table are sort of true in a demon fighting and magic sort of way. Brie gets pulled into a super white group trying to learn more about her mother's death, and Brie learns a lot more than she bargained for. Of course, there's magic, romance, and all the chaos. It's so juicy. We're going to dig into it. Mm, so excited. Shout out to our new patron, Veronica. We are glad to have you with us on the Discord server, and your support means so, so much. If you out there in the ether listening are want to join us on patreon for one dollar or more a month we have a pay what you can model then you can get early access to episodes so do it please why not and then if financial support isn't an option for you send us an email or a dm and we'll be more than happy to add you to the discord no questions asked initial reactions So I read this book last summer and then listened to the audiobook for this episode. And I just love this book so much. Literally, everyone should read it. The characters are great. The book deals with some big things in small bite-sized pieces, which I think could be good for people who are not, you know, as familiar. Um, And I enjoyed the magical system. I loved it the first time I read it. And I liked it even better reading it the second time. I just love this book so much. What about you? You kept like hyping it on social media. And so I was like, okay, well, I definitely need to listen to it. And so, or I need to read it. And so I listened to the audio book last fall sometime and loved it. It's performed by Jonice Abbott Pratt, who does an incredible job. It's one of the best audio books I've listened to recently. And I, so I re-listened to it in preparation for the episode. And it's just like, I couldn't agree with you more. Spectacular. Better on the second read through. Tracy Dion is a consummate storyteller. I cannot wait for the next installment in the series. And Legendborn is definitely one of my go-to wrecks for YA fantasy right now and probably forever for all of the reasons you mentioned. And like the plot is captivating. Bree's voice is like so alive and real. It's just like visceral and tangible and like not to mention incisive with her historical and structural critiques. Like you're saying that she learns, you know, along the way. And there's Selwyn Kane, obviously. So just yes to all the things. Yes, to all the things. <laughs> Why'd we pick this book, Jesse? Um, because I'm literally telling everyone to read it right now. Uh, we have literal black girl magic going on. This was a really fun take on Arthurian legends, and we have a pretty wonderful love triangle, kind of. Yeah. Um, also, Cynthia from Cynthia's Reading List and I are on a cyberbullying campaign to get people to read this book. Shout out to Cynthia. Um, she got me an arc of this book from the publisher last summer, trying to tell the publisher that, like, you know, more black people need to have these arcs, <laughs> which was super kind. And um, this book just like wrecked me for other books now. So like this is top tier, like all other books are going to be compared to Legendborn from now on. Sorry, not sorry. 
it's just it's excellence yes yes recommend if you like arthurian legend stuff for sure if you're into like movies with arthur or it's just like this is arthur but just better less white i mean yeah. it's still pretty damn white like we see like the problems with whiteness and all of these things and europeanness sure. etc cetera, etc cetera, and racism but it's just like oh my god so refreshing so much better like yes yeah i also think if you like ll mckinney you'll like this obviously both of them are you know contemporary fantasy novels which is kind of cool and both of them have very strong black um lead characters and you know black girl magic going on so if you like a blade so black in that series then you'll probably love this one as well and it's just like further proof that like you can't people come in and are like there's too much of x you know, before mm-hmm. any POC have gotten to like write in the genre or like really take their take, mm-hmm. do their take on it. And it's like Alice in Wonderland, Arthurian legend, both pretty, you know, canon white male stuff. And it's like, mm-hmm. hold on, let's just take it and rip it open and turn it inside out. And it's just like, inc- yeah, even better for it. Agreed. Time to talk world building in Through the Wardrobe. So as Jesse mentioned at the top, we have contemporary, like urban fantasy, basically, uh, set in UNC Chapel Hill. So take it away, Jesse. You're from the area <laughs> and much more. I think I've been there once. Okay. Yeah. So um, I'm, I'm going to let you you take it away and I'll, I will follow your lead. <laughs> Yes, yeah, so the book takes place at UNC Chapel Hill, which is like, you know, one of the bigger UNC schools. It's like the one that everyone knows, Chapel Hill. Um, I'm from Virginia, so Raleigh, North Carolina, where Chapel Hill is, or it's in Durham. Sorry, it's in Durham. It's probably like three-ish hours from where I grew up, so not very far. I really love that this book takes place in the South. It, that was really fun for me because I don't read a lot of books that take place there. So we got Waffle House and Texas Pete and Grits and like the humidity, like all the wonderful things about the South that the and the book still also deals with the legacy of slavery. Talk more on that later and how it creeps into the everyday life of black folks. I just loved every second of it. And I am not usually a huge fan of contemporary fantasy, but this one just got everything so right. I loved it so much. And I'm guessing the Waffle House and Texas Pete and grits and humidity mean absolutely nothing to Kelly. (laughs) Oh my gosh. Well, the humidity means like scary to me as like a mountain Colorado (laughs) Rocky Mountain person. It's just like, um, I can tell if the humidity is like above 15% here. I'm like, oh, it's muggy. But that is nothing on the South. I didn't know what Texas Pete was. That was new to me. But, like, definitely Waffle House. Oh, my gosh. So good. Yeah. I actually don't, like, to me, I'm like, Waffle House is so disgusting, but it's, like, such a staple in the South that it's, like, I don't know anyone who's not been to a Waffle House in the South. Texas Pete is, like, the preferred hot sauce of everyone in my family. So I don't know if that's a Southern thing or, like, a Black thing. Could be both. You know, those things are often intertwined. But, like, I do have Tabasco in my house now because it's kind of hard to find Texas Pete in places like Colorado. But it is the preferred hot sauce because it actually has flavor and not just heat. <laughs> so it's it's delish delish. Would recommend. It's also like baby hot sauce. It's not like super hot. Not like, you know, you're not going to like burn your mouth off or whatever. Well, let's see if I can find it and then try it out. 
It's delish. Put it on eggs, on scrambled eggs. So good. I also really like that this book um, explains that the scions are young because they're like at peak physical strength at that time. (laughs) Most YA books have young people trying to save the world, but they don't really give us a good reason why we would expect like a 16 year old to be able to save the world. Yeah. Like, why are you not doing it when you're like 45? (laughs) Yeah. Like, why are we letting children handle this? But I'm like, okay, this one makes sense in a way i mean it's very ableist but at the same time i'm like at least it's explained for once (laughs) i like that that yeah that the justification that you're talking about and then on this second reading i have realized that cell probably has a southern accent which is like i think i just like accents but like a southern accent will get me every time so like i just love him even more now thinking about that so i just wanted to say that (laughs) now it's crucial it's a crucial aspect of the world building everyone if y'all thought i was on the nick side of this love triangle you don't know me at all Uh uh (laughs) (laughs) team sell forever let's discuss all things magic so we have what is essentially a single magical system but it is not because it's splintered off based on race caste class lived experience you know so we have like the legend born society which are white mostly we we're learning not that 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 it's like not actually 100 percent white and like these people that they like bound the magic to their bodies and so then it has mm-hmm. so it's like blood magic in a sense and then it mm-hmm. has these physiological like magic always pays a price we've been like how long have we been doing this podcast that's always the case so yeah we see like cell getting ether drunk or you know the whole idea of abatement like your lifespan is cut short because of like all of the magic and then we also on the on the other side have the root crafters who are mostly black Mm -hmm. right that's the implication right they're pretty much all black yeah so root it's just like a way of conceptualizing the magic that's different and then like the the relationship to like the give and take of the magic is also very different you know like we see mm-hmm. the root crafters like using herbs and t- borrowing magic rather than like taking it and borrowing it from their ancestors mm-hmm. the relationship to ancestry is really important in different ways we see in in both magical systems i guess kind of what i'm circling around is like there's different magical epistemologies and epistemology just means like a way of knowing And then these lead to different like practices, traditions, ethics, and theories. And it was just all incredibly like well-crafted and like laid out, well-explained and also like revealed in like bite-sized increments, you know, it wasn't like full on Mm -hmm. info dump all the time, which I thought was, um, I don't know, it helps me suspend, you know, the disbelief and keep going through the story. But yeah, anything, what do you think about this? Like two different sides of the same coin situation. Yeah, it was an interesting way, I think, to look at the magical system, especially because it it was almost like a black and white issue, because I think for most white readers, the legend board magic is going to be very familiar to them, but root magic is something that will be more familiar to people from the South whose families have a legacy of, you know, being enslaved and who are Black. So it was interesting to see it from like that point of view, like those different kinds of magic and how they you know one is like this generational like wealth (laughs) kind of model of magic yeah (laughs) and then the other one's like here are our stories and like here are 
is our like interconnectedness with the earth and with each other and not generational (laughs) wealth so it was just interesting to see like the two different like Tracy Dion just did just such a fabulous job with this book even like within the magical system being like there are different ways that people walk through the world and that falls along race lines a lot of times so I thought it was very well done I love the magical system and the relationship to like secrecy I also Mm -hmm. thought was like very well articulated because that's one of the things with like contemporary urban fantasy either it's gonna like you have to figure out is the magical system gonna be like out there or is it gonna be secret and if so like what are the Mm -hmm. rules you know for who gets to know what and when Mm -hmm. but like even the relationship to secrecy was different you know it seemed like a scarcity versus an abundance mindset like quite literally yeah like the legendborn are like they're not even interacting with each other they're on campus in case someone figures out that they know each other and they're like part of the secret society or whatever whereas Bree is meeting with the therapist and then they bring in that other um, student who like kind of helps them and it's like more of a community as opposed to like this weird secret society well and it's about like healing you know mm-hmm. at the end of the day that's like a lot of Bree's journey yeah but the the legendborn is just like it's just injury after injury after injury it's like always reacting you know yeah to like quote-unquote catastrophe or whatever you know but then we're realizing Mm -hmm. that that's all by their own design you know yeah brie has all the powers oh my gosh i was just like so excited to see so much black girl magic yeah she's legendborn and rootcraft like she just all of it mixed up inside of her and i was just like obviously that comes from a legacy of slavery (laughs) so not good but it was fun to see Brie being like the, you know, the, she's the chosen one. <laughs> yeah, she really is. Yeah. She yeah. can like create this, the like flames and then, but she can also like see ether and smell it and, and stuff like so cool. Yeah. But, and also that comes with a cost. Like the reason that she has that tied to her is because, you know, her ancestor performed blood magic to tie the magic to her so that she could get away from slavers who were trying to, you know, kill her on her child. So Brie has this power, which means that, you know, there's only one woman in her family at a time. So with magical powers. So we see Brie's mom dies and Brie doesn't know her grandmother because her grandmother died when Brie's mom was younger. And so we kind of see like this um, ongoing thing where like there's only one a breeze um female ancestors alive at a time and that is a result of their blood magic so within the legend born society we have lots of oaths lots of mesmers so like trying to change people's memory or like mind control basically so there's a lot of like control oriented magic in the legend born Mm -hmm. society you know trying to get people to like not betray you or not like that we're worried about whether there's a mole inside you know so it's just like the whole I don't know it felt very like knives out whodunit a little bit oh, in yeah. there <laughs> with yeah. their, like fancy and they're like big fancy house so yeah I thought that was interesting just like the reasons that the magic is used is is mostly for control or for killing yeah I mean some of that killing needed to happen like they're killing demons and that one demon like inhabited Evan's body I guess there was a lot of people dying in this book. For like, how was... long? We don't know. Yeah, no idea. Like, was that demon in Evan's body when 
Brie met him. I have no idea. Witty died, which was like real sad because I really liked Witty. Yeah. With his, you know, camo and hog farm and stuff. <laughs> <laughs> he was real sweet. He was Williams? No. Who's, I forget whose page he was. But like Paige Sion squire sometimes i got like a little confused with all the like legend born rank and file stuff but like that happens to me with like the military and other things yeah have you read any arthurian legends before like any of those books um i feel like yes but also not in recent memory okay have you i read um mists of avalon a little while ago i mean let me just say don't read that book because it turns out like she abused her daughter I didn't know that when I was reading it but it did like it in my mind I'm like oh I know more about Arthurian legends from that also I used to be obsessed with like King Arthur stuff when I was a kid like like movies not like books so I've like seen like all the King Arthur movies when I was a kid like the one with Kira Knightley I saw that in theaters (laughs) (laughs) wow when you were a child yeah I mean I was like in middle school I think like maybe 12 yeah I remember that when they're like painting themselves blue and and things like that yeah, I don't remember why. I don't think I ever watched it, but I did see it in theaters. <laughs> <laughs> now we're going to talk about conflict, villain, and good versus evil in our segment, Get Me Kylo Ren. Is it just me or is it always the dads? <laughs> Professor Davis, terrible. I thought he was like a really good quote unquote bad guy in that in the sense that he's like a rich old white dude who's hungry for power for reasons because he doesn't have enough of it I guess yeah I mean that seemed like to the the crux of you know like the main conflict in the story as far as like who's opening the gates and who's getting called you know and so he thought he was calling Arthur and turns out you've been second fiddle the whole time fools (laughs) bro you messed up Yeah, I did not really see that coming the first time I read it. Like, I didn't think it was going to be the dad because he seemed like fine. And he was like on board with Brie being there. And then it turns out he's like real fucking racist and a bad guy and like about to like kill a bunch of children so that his son can be in power. Like, what? Just not good. And like, I don't know, like what hand he played in what's going on with Cell's mom. Like, it just is like a mess that whole I forget what their society is even called we're just going to call them the round table I think maybe that is what it's called but (laughs) they're like a fucking wreck (laughs) yeah and like the whole idea that they like separate people into like legend born or once born you know it Mm -hmm. I'm like basically completely arbitrary just because like you're not a part of a particular bloodline but it's like well clearly this whole blood idea like y'all don't really have it figured out either so Um, no not even a little bit not even a little bit and it like it makes me wonder i'm like well like last time that like arthur was called like who was it pretend because i'm guessing it wasn't one of Bree's ancestors like 200 years ago we're not at slavery this is 2020 right yeah so 1820 yeah okay so we are so maybe pre Bree's family having being part of the Arthurian line. Oh yeah, that's time. Good, yeah, I guess. They didn't say like when exactly in the 1800s this was happening with Vera and No, stuff. they just said like 200 years ago. Oh, with Vera and stuff. Yeah, they didn't, but now I'm guessing it must have been before otherwise they would have been like how is this black man Arthur? 
<laughs> they'd be like um excuse mm-hmm, mm-hmm. like all of the like white bitches in the gala party all of the moms it's just like oh my god yeah oh just the, the old worst. white ladies are just mm, that kind of racism is just like oh it reeks yeah a good reminder that like white women perpetuated those things as well even if they like to pretend otherwise mm-hmm. <laughs> They are the reason we have Confederate statues. There's a really good John Oliver episode about Confederate statues, and it's like the daughters of the Confederacy, white women. They're the reason. (laughs) Is is that what, like, Daughters of the American Revolution is basically, too, but it's just the American Revolution instead of the Confederacy? I don't really know. There's, like, all these societies in the South, but obviously as, like, a black person and my mom is, like, a northerner, (laughs) we did not, like, take part in any of those things, so I don't know how that is, like how that works <laughs> it's not really open to people like me <laughs> and i know nothing about mm-hmm. all of that stuff yeah <laughs> i'm just over here in the mountains yeah just hanging out you were like i have no idea what's going on down there <laughs> it's just me and the elk in the in the woods over here exactly but yeah maybe a lot of bad people going on apparently that the king's mage professor davis's king's mage like he like you know, basically chloroformed Brie and like kidnapped her. Cell's the only good guy in this whole situation. That's all I'm saying. <laughs> <laughs> Onward, magical friend. Just as one does not simply walk into Mordor, one does not simply read fantasy without talking about representations of race, class, gender, ability, etc., etc. This is our segment about power and bodies and how they relate. We had a really wide variety of characters from different genders, races, even like economic classes. Yeah. So it was just, it was just like, oh, yep, that's what's happening. Sexualities, et cetera. Yeah. And I read this book last summer and I think it might've been the case that Greer is the first like character that we see very often that I had read that used they, them pronouns. So that was pretty interesting, like, because I hadn't read it before and just like, Tracy Dion doesn't make a big deal about it. It's just like normal and we love to see it. So we've touched on this in like our conversation up until now, but like, let's dig in. So the Legendborn Roundtable, whatever this is, Legendborn Society and like the race class caste system in the United States, like it's all, it's all tied together. It's like very constituted, you know, on that foundation. So AKA racist as fuck. Yeah. Like Bree is a black girl and she's king like she's she is arthur yeah. and people are fucking pissed like they are not happy about it <laughs> it is there's like there is like gender and race mm-hmm. yeah brie being a black woman you know coming onto the scene mm-hmm. and being like mm, all these paradigms nope when we see like nick's dad professor davis talking about it like how women are now allowed to be scions or whatever they're allowed to like fight now and he's like it was better when they were just like you know doing their little girls club whatever those moms are doing that was obviously fucked up as well yeah they were not good but he was like i liked it better when they weren't allowed and i'm just like oh my god there's so much going on here Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. brie experiences micro slash macro aggressions because of because she's black the one that really sticks out to me is the police officer at the beginning of the story just this this whole scene you know just on the record fuck the police abolish the police mm-hmm. defund the police abolish prisons and policing generally etc cetera, etc cetera, times one thousand million amen 
Yeah. And like in that scene when the police officer is like, oh, I'm sure you're here on like a, a needs based scholarship. Like, and I'm just like, oh my God, that is what it is like in the South. So let me just say like, I think a lot of times we talk about like microaggressions in particular, but I think like anyone who's not from the South would not call those microaggressions. Like anyone who's not from the South would be like, how does this happen on a day-to-day basis? And that's not to say like everyone, like every white person in the South is bad. That's not the case. And I do think there's a lot of like class solidarity in the South that often gets like, you know, like swept under the rug. But like, these are just things you experience. And it is like, the South can be kind of shitty and I don't want to move back there, but I do think we need to work on it. My fellow Southerners, like, (laughs) like, and I think a lot of it is like class-based as well because all those things are always tied up in each other. So I can't change the minds of like rich white people. I'm not part of their group, but you know, someone should do it. (laughs) We also have Brie describing what it's like to be black and in the South. Um, So she talks about how like dates tell you when things were meant to include you and when they were built by your enslaved ancestors. And you're constantly confronted with the fact that your ancestors were enslaved and some wish things were still that way. The book handled this really well, I thought. It's just like a weird thing being in the South and, you know, the Civil War monuments being everywhere and, you know, realizing who these people are and kind of, I think growing up in the South, sometimes this stuff just seems like normal. Like you see Confederate flags places, it doesn't really cross your mind, especially as a young person, like you get it, but you don't get it all the time. So things that like seem completely normal and then you like get older and become more aware and you kind of realize like, oh, like none of this is good. Like what the fuck is going on here? Like, why does my next door neighbor have a Confederate flag, you know? But I think the the book did a really good job of like showing how that like kind of eats away at you every day. Like just those are the microaggressions, the people saying things to your face. Like those are when you're like, those are the overt things, you know? So mm-hmm. it's hard to be a, you know, a black person in the South. It's tough. Tracy Dion did an excellent job of being like, of really constructing this atmosphere of like, I know it's called white supremacy, but really it just is white mediocrity. Like Mm -hmm, it just mm -hmm. like, it's the water that we're all like, it's the ocean, you know, that all the fish are swimming in. And it, uh, just like, I really appreciate what you shared. Yeah. I think like reading, especially if like teens who, or young people who are white, who like me are not from the South who have, you know, thus like probably come up in more segregated like landscapes. Yeah. I think like, literature like this does incredible things as far as like breaking down the barriers uh between different kinds of life experience and like showing how different people like how we're affected by those like overt things like you're saying and then also just like I've heard it called racial battle fatigue you know just like thing Mm -hmm. after thing after thing every single day for your whole life yeah it's exhausting and I mean we kind of see like both like Alice is Taiwanese so we do kind of see like Brie has a friend who's also a person of color. And I'm sure that that adds to like, that is something where we see like solidarity between races. And like, we see um, Alice kind of dealing with um, what is it called? You know, like the racist stereotypes against Asians. Yeah. Like, are you talking about the model minority myth? Yeah, that's it. Yep. <laughs> yeah. Like we see her, like Alice dealing with that instead, you know, like, so we kind of see how, like how even, within different races like they're dealing with different issues but they kind of like come together because um like the police officer believes that alice is there on a merit scholarship right you know yeah exactly <laughs> doesn't believe it at brie and then we find out like 
Alice talks about how like she has to work really hard at school like it's really hard for her so kind of like I think Tracy Dion even breaking down like you know model minority myths like the myth like and school comes really easily to Alice which is not something we often see in you know books and media as like a black girl being like really smart and like being good at school so I think you know just all around just so good (laughs) so good okay so in this story Brie is Arthur and Nick is Lancelot and they like have feelings for each other and we're not really sure if it's like because like you know Arthur and Lancelot is kind of like (laughs) living in them in them uh you know what I mean like (laughs) Does this insinuate that Arthur and Lancelot were queer? Like, I wasn't really sure what I was supposed to think of this. Like, are Nick and Brie drawn together because of Arthur and Lancelot? Like, I'm just putting the question out there. (laughs) I'm really glad that you did put the question out there. (laughs) I don't know about if you had this similar thought, but like all of the like knights and the knight errant and the pages and like, it all feels very homoerotic to me. Yeah. You know, like the eye pledging about your life and the loving and the, you know, all this stuff. Like, I don't know. It feels. And some of them are coupled up. Exactly. And and then like Brie and William have this whole conversation about what it's like to like date across, you know, Mm -hmm. Scion Squire, Page, 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 Squire, Squire, like all those stuff. I love that. I love this insinuation that you did that you are insinuating. (laughs) (laughs) we just say the word insinuate one more time yeah insinuate (laughs) Uh, I love that and so like the whole thing is like Lancelot then got together with Guinevere and then there's like this whole so is Cell Guinevere I like oh yeah I guess yes (laughs) definitely I don't know I just like have so many things I want from this story but like I'm also like let me just like pump the brakes like let me just let Tracy Dion write her story. But like if someone can give me like Brie Cell fan fiction, like if someone has written that, like send it to me, please. I mean this 100% seriously. I would like to read it. <laughs> Finally, it's time for Shipwrecked, a segment about sexuality, asexuality, sex, romance and relationships. And sometimes we take liberties and do some shipping of our own. So as you can probably tell by the whole episode so far, Tracy Dion is not into like having homogenous, dusty, boring, anything going on. So we don't have mm-hmm. dusty, boring, old heteronormativity imposed either. Not at all. Alice is a lesbian. Cell is bi or pan something or just attracted to multiple genders. Who knows? Um, mm-hmm, because mm-hmm. we talk about him like being or he talks about, you know, being really attracted like in love with Nick basically as like a yeah when they were like as like a kids. teen a yeah. baby I mean I as guess like he's a still a teen <laughs> yeah yeah so I'm wondering how old these people are they're like 19 18 no Brie is 16 Brie is 16 and Cell is like 18 okay and I think Nick is like 17 okay because that was Cause his second year in the early college program because it's a little bit like we're right up there where we're talking about like what is the age of consent who is a minor mm-hmm. and who isn't a minor like mm-hmm. when our age difference is important versus not like we're kind of in that mm-hmm. messy area where you could like is there anything statutory like not like in the mm-hmm. novel as as it is here but it's like I don't know it kind of I didn't really think about it until now until when you were talking about like the me 
like just now, right before we changed segments when you were talking about like Cell and Brie and I was like, how old are they? And it's yeah. like, what's the age difference? Like, and I don't know, like, where is the line where it's inappropriate or not? So we don't, I don't have an answer to these questions, but yeah, just putting it out there. What do you think? I mean, they're all like kids ish, you know, to me. Yeah. So I'm just like, it's fine. But yeah, I do think if like Cell were kind of like older, like a bit older, like, once he gets 20, I'm, like, uncomfortable because, like, I mean, Brie is a high schooler and Cell is a college student. And right. to me, I'm like, well, you have some, like, Cell has <laughs> power <laughs> and not his magical power. But, like, you know, he has, like, a lot more things he can do and, you know, has access to as an adult that Brie doesn't. So it's kind of hard. But also Cell seems like the kind of person who wouldn't, like, push those boundaries. So right. I don't know. So and, not- like, Nick's only a year older than her. And it's a South, so it's probably, like, I think there's, like, some weird rules around what is considered statutory and what is not. Like, I think it's, like, a two-year thing, so I don't know. But we're also, like, people aren't having sex in this novel, or at least the main character Mm -mm. isn't. No, not at all. So, not really concerned yet either. (laughs) Exactly. I think we have to ask ourselves this question and ruminate on it a little bit. Why is the Selwyn Kane figure so hot? And, and like, I mean the Selwyn Kane figure in, like, a larger sense of the term. We can talk about, we can start with the narrow parameters and then go out, I guess, maybe to this, like, bad boy figure in general. Okay, so there are a lot of TikToks about this, and it's, like, super, like, it's fun, but also, like, such a call out. Um, <laughs> because, like, <laughs> so I was watching this TikTok with my husband, and I'll never be able to find it again to put it in the show notes. So let me just state that up front. But basically saying like why you like the Bucky Barnes character slash why you like the Winter Soldier character. And basically it's like the bad boy. Like you like him because you like want to be able to change him or whatever. Like you think you could be the one to do that. Like your love is powerful enough to do that or whatever. And I assume (laughs) that's why we like the bad boy characters. They're very attractive. They're not doing anything that bad. Like they're not like the fucking Darkling or anything. Kelly. Okay. Um, (laughs) (laughs) But they're like... I don't know. They got tattoos. They have dark hair. Like, oh, the tattoos. It's it's an aesthetic, you know? I don't know. It's an aesthetic and it's... But it... I was thinking about... And they're always not actually that bad. Let me just say, like, we always think they're bad and then they turn out to be, like, heart of gold underneath. You know what I mean? Yeah, just, like, little history of trauma babies. Yeah, they look bad, but they're... On the inside, they're good. And that's why we're attracted to them because they're actually really safe people to be with. They just, like, give off harsh vibes and then you like they just want to hug or whatever <laughs> yeah and and i think there is like also a gender bendy at like a queer aspect to it you know as yeah. far as the aesthetic generally because i was thinking like thinking back on like why i thought you know those like i don't know mcr like my chemical romance mm-hmm. like ev- like why is that aesthetic it was so attracted to me you know when I was younger yeah. or any of these like emo bands, you know, and it's like, they're messing with gender norms. They're wearing makeup. Mm-hmm. They have nail polish on. They have, they're like, I don't know, talking about their fucking feelings, like all this stuff. So I, they were before their time. And so I realized, <laughs> I realized that it's like, that I'm like, Oh damn. Like there was some queer desire going on in that, like both on the, like performing it, you know, and the, like being attracted mm-hmm. to it. You see what mm-hmm, I mean? Mm-hmm. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, Ferrard forever. I'll just say that, you know, like, <laughs> yeah, I get it. All right, I don't know why they're so hot. I just, 
I'm just going to say that they're like hearts of gold inside, but like their outside says no. <laughs> <laughs> the outside also says danger. Yes. Yeah, the outside says danger and the inside says not danger. And I'm I'm here for and it. And I'm like, <laughs> I live in the tension. Suspend me in this tension. I'm anxious already. Like, give me more anxiety, please. <laughs> <laughs> I love, love, loved Alice and Bree's relationship. Just like friendship, amazement, amazeness, like platonic love grown out of like this childhood intimacy. And it seems more like a sibling relationship, like this type of friendship, mm-hmm. because like there's tough love and conflict. And that's part of the way that they are interacting with each other. Like when Alice is calling Bree's dad, <gasps> I was like, I was like, no, no. <laughs> but I was also like, oh, OK, I see what you did there. Mm-hmm. And I think it's really hard because obviously um, Bree is, you know, her mom's just died not that long ago and she's dealing with that. So I think Alice also knows like she needs you know that other parental figure because you know because Bree does have that and I don't know it just I can see why Alice would call even though I think me as a person would be upset but like Bree is going through more than I think she realizes and I think Alice does realize that and so she's like let me get her the help she doesn't realize she needs exactly because like <laughs> asking for help is so hard and then we saw you know Bree definitely struggling with that throughout the whole mm-hmm. throughout the whole book and also, I should say, like, we said it, or I said, jokingly, is it always the dads? And let's just say Bree's dad, ugh, goals. Just, like, gold stars uh. everywhere. Just, like, letting her be herself and, like, not being too pushy, but also setting important boundaries and being firm when you need to and just, like, ugh, amaze. And, like, so good to have such a good depiction of, like, a great black dad, which I think also Ella McKinney does really well, even though in that book the dad has died why books love to have a dead parent for some reason um i think this book does a really good job of showing like a black dad who's present and there and like in touch with his feelings like all those things which you know really cuts out those stereotypes (laughs) let's just say i just want to say that compulsory monogamy is a colonial imposition (laughs) all right Mm-hmm. Uh, apropos of okay, nothing. L- let's hear the rest of this comment. Um, <laughs> <laughs> Nick Breesell love triangle. I was like, thruple? And then I'm like, y'all don't obviously have any pos- like polyamorous possibility models that you're looking at. Um, slash yeah. Jesse is about to put me in my place, so go ahead. Yes, this would not work as a thruple because Nick kind of hates Cell and is kind of a bully to him. Like, remember when he, like, punches Cell in the face knowing that Cell can't retaliate yeah. because of, like, their oath or whatever? And I, like, kind of hate stories where the person who's bullied falls for the bully. Looking at you, sex education. Love that show. But, like, why is this a trope? I'm not a huge fan of it. So I'm going to say they can't be a thruple. You're going to have to find another thruple, Kelly. It's fine. It's fine. <laughs> We'll find a book maybe where there's like polyamory going on. Send us your suggestions. But if it's the Jennifer Armentrop book, like we are not reading that for the podcast. Let me just put that I don't know who there. that is. <laughs> it's funny because I have the second book. I forget what the first book is called. But like people on Instagram love it. But it's not very good. I think we're people are just there for the steamy sex scenes. Um, Which is like we can. It would be a podcast about romance if we were doing that. So. Which is not. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) Which is not what we do here. (laughs) But I ship Cell and Bree, so I don't know about you. Nick is like, 
kind of boring to me. <laughs> I can see, like, I can totally see why he was alluring to Brie at the beginning. And I was mm-hmm. like, I'm like here for it in her, in his, insofar as like, oh yeah, it's Brie on her journey, figuring out her mm-hmm. desire, all those things. And then, but obviously I should Brie and so just like such good chemistry. They both have their trauma. Like. <laughs> yeah. Well, there you go. Yeah. That could be part of it. I mean, Nick does too, like all the shit with his mom, but Nick is like kind of a bully and I don't really appreciate that. So it's like, I'm like, oh my, like that scene where he punches Cell in the face. Like, I don't even think I liked Cell that much at that point. Like he was all right. Like it, I was on my, okay. I liked him the first time I saw him. The very I first like, oh, time. I know what's going to happen. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but when that, when Nick did that, I was just like, nope, that's it. I'm done. <laughs> mm-hmm. I got hard boundaries. <laughs> yep. yep. And I'm learning from you. set your boundaries people it's good for us now we're going to talk about writing style narration characterization plot structure and basically whatever else comes to mind in a segment called kill your darlings really good fight scenes Mm -hmm. they were like spaced enough throughout the novel to like keep the pace going you know but they also Mm -hmm. wasn't just like an entire novel of fight scenes yeah, and like they were written in such a way that I could really imagine them. I feel like sometimes people get really into the fight scenes and like I'm like, I have no idea what's going on, so let me just skim real fast. But these ones were really good, I thought. Yeah, like if we're having like an SJM mega battle fight scene, I'm just like, flip, 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 yeah. flip. <laughs> yeah, let's get through this. <laughs> so that was not Tra- Tracy Dion. Excellent work. Smells like YA, but like make it not completely corny because it has like more of a justification inside of the world i loved this part where like the cells magic smells like cinnamon and whiskey and stuff yeah like it's the magic that has the smell what do we know about the next book in the series do we have a release date a title anything like this i'm just like oh my gosh i cannot wait Okay, so there was nothing on the author's website. Goodreads says to expect it sometime in 2022. I don't know. And I am like real sad. I think I wrote this in like my review for the book on Goodreads, but I'm like, I wish I almost wish I didn't read it because I don't know when the next one's coming out and I want it right now. (laughs) Like five minutes ago so I could already be reading it. Exactly. So we have a while. I'm sorry to say. Also really cool, the author's website has a content warning for the book, so I would say check that out if you want to look at that. Um, some similar to what we said at the top of the show for like racism, trauma related to a parent dying, and there's some abuse going on in the books and depictions of slavery, so all those kinds of things um, and others that I don't remember off the top of my head, but... We can link it in the show notes, so just good to check out before you before you get read in. I hope this becomes like a standard, the content yeah. I mean, I, and stuff. I mean, the people who are doing yeah. it, like, I mean, obviously there's important people who are already doing it, like Tracy Dion, but mm-hmm. I really, mm-hmm. I like when they show up in the book themselves, too. Yeah, that's what I was going to say. Yeah, in the book would be ideal. Before we end, it's time for Real Talk. Did reading this book make your perspective change in any way, or did it make you interrogate a concept, system, or trend that you hadn't before? Okay, so this book got me thinking about how we handle situations where someone close has died. 
and how we help people with their grief and how do we acknowledge it without hurting them further or is it better not to mention it and let that person talk about it in the way they want to. Um, I've never had like a close family member die and it, it, it was just interesting to see it from Bree's perspective, how people talk about it as like a loss or like the things people say around the death of um, a loved one. And I don't have any answers, obviously, but I was just kind of wondering like what your thoughts were about, you know, how we handle grief with others. I really appreciated Bree's take on perspective on things where it's like she can tell that almost like where it's coming from, like just by reading the affect of the person who's saying it mm-hmm. and like the kind of words that they're using and the way that they interact with her. And so what I mean by this is like, you can tell if the person was giving their condolences like authentically, you know, and mm-hmm. was like making space for there to be whatever there was around it, whether that's Brie being like, I don't want to talk about it or Brie wanting to talk about it versus the people who are like, Oh, like, you know, they just like look at you differently or it's like, sorry for your loss, but not in like a really, they're saying it because it's like their script, their social script. Mm-hmm. And it makes like them feel better, but it feels it, yeah. like was very transactional and superficial. And Bree's picking up on all of those emotional clues. I mean, I think we can, you know, mm-hmm. as people, but we're not necessarily attuned to that. So yeah, just like being with the discomfort and you can just tell when those people are like, they're trying to say something to like get the discomfort out of, out of the, out of play. Rather than Mm -hmm. like letting their acknowledging it and letting there actually be space for this fucking grief that is massive. Yeah. And is like, yeah, it's a collective thing to go through. You know, we see Brie like when she starts talking or when she starts therapy and when she, you know, starts memory walking. And I don't know when making these connections is really important part of her journey. But and it's not she doesn't make those connections with the people who are, you know, super transactional and superficial about things. Yeah. Ready for some card questions? Let's do some card questions. Drum roll, please. Okay. I don't know. I can't I don't play anything. <laughs> um, maybe I'll put it in, in post-production. We'll see how ambitious I'm feeling. <laughs> mm. Is this book funny? Oh. Um. No, but there are some funny parts. Like the banter with... Cell and Brie and Nick and Brie both have their have their moments. What do you think? I would agree with that. Like I think I laughed out loud a few times. Yeah, yeah. There are some like funny comments. I remember Brie or or like Brie's reaction to something, but you're like getting it from mm-hmm. her exposition. Not she's not necessarily saying it. And mm-hmm. yeah, there are definitely some laugh out loud moments for me. Shall we do another? Let's do another one. How might the story have changed if it were told from a different character's perspective? Oh. I guess it depends on the character. It could have been interesting to see it from Cell's perspective because that's the perspective that I want. But it would have been interesting because I think we would have seen Brie as a bad guy at the beginning, you know? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Because Cell is really worried about her. Yeah. Yeah. Or like from Nick's perspective, he would be like really weirded out, I guess. And I think it would have been more like romancy because he's like obviously trying to like. I don't know, chatter up or whatever. Yeah, yeah, it's true, it's true. But I'm, like, Bree's perspective, I'm so glad this was, like, a one POV, like, yeah. Bree all the way. Yes, yes. Although, in future books, I'd be fine with multiple POVs, I think. Um, could be cool. Yeah, that could be a cool way to, like, expand the world. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. 
Thanks for listening to the Library Coven. We'll be back in two weeks for a discussion of The Gilded Ones by Namina Forna. As always, we'd love to be in conversation with you magical folks. Let us know what you think of the episode, anything we missed, or just say hi by dropping a line in the comments or by reaching out to us on Twitter or Instagram at the Library Coven. Please do yourself a favor and subscribe to the Library Coven on the podcast app of your choice. That way, you'll never miss an episode when they drop. And we would also really appreciate it if you would rate and review the show. Another thing you can do is spread the word to other people out there so that they can listen to it too. If you're able to support our labor financially, you can make a one-time donation to us on Coffee. You can also support us monthly on Patreon or by shopping at our bookshop.org affiliate page. Kelly is recording on Cheyenne, Ute, and Arapaho land. Jesse is recording on Peoria, Kaskakia, Peankasha, Weya, Miami, Muscotin, Odawa, Sac, Meskwaki, Kickapoo, Potawatomi, Ojibwe, and Chickasaw land. Until next time, stay magical. Mm-hmm.